days, Peter, the disciples, altogether the number of names was about 120 and said, men and brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke before by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered with us and obtained a part in this ministry. Now this man purchased a field with the wages of iniquity, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and all his entrails gushed out. And all God's people said, gross, like, <laughs> disgusting. Uh, and it became known to all those dwelling in Jerusalem so so that that field is called by their own name, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let his habitation be desolate and let no one live in it. Let another take his office. Therefore, of the, these men who have accompanied, accompanied us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John to that day, when he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And they proposed two, Joseph called Bar, uh, Barsabbas, who was surnamed Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, O Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which of these two you have chosen to take part in this ministry and apostleship which Judas by transgression, failed that he might go to his own place. And they cast their lots, and the lot fell to Matthi- on Matthias, and he was numbered with the 11 apostles. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for Scripture. Thank you for this faithful account of your life and ministry and the truth that it brings to us to live this life that you've given to us. God, you're the giver of every good and perfect gift, your word says, and that All things are for you and all things are from you. And so we need you, God, as we live our own lives day after day, God, to show us and reveal yourself to us so that we can walk in light and our lives can have the meaning that you have assigned to them. And so we pray for help. God, show us by your spirit the truth from your word, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, what we find in this passage is an interval that the disciples are in and it's a time of waiting. And so I thought about that in preparing this week. The book of Acts mostly is a book of action. In fact, the title praxis means acts or activity. And most of the time, the title given to the book of Acts is the acts of the apostles or the disciples. So it is a, you know, we expect that, right? When you read it, you you expect that the foot uh, is going to be on the gas and that things are going to be happening. And that's really the reality in Acts, but not right now. In this particular uh, part of the book of Acts, what we see is a group of people who are waiting. They've been told by Jesus to go up into the upper room and and they are to pray and they are to wait. And so there's this pregnant pause that they're in. And... I thought about that in the you know trying to think about an application from this passage for us that what what we experience in life a lot of times is a lot of waiting it seems like to me I don't like waiting but it's often what I'm doing uh my least favorite things to do are go going to the doctor's office which I do twice a year I have to have labs taken and I don't like it one reason I don't like it is cuz they what do they do to you first they make you get on the scales right like, who thought that up? You know, what, are you trying to figure out a dose for me or what are we doing here? 
But anyway, I don't like going to the doctor, and when I go to the doctor, I know I'm going to have to wait. And I don't like getting my oil changed, same reason, because I know that it is going to be me doing nothing for several hours. So I try to read and things like that. But I think about what life is like. There's a lot of waiting in life, and people often want their faith. I uh, thought about that this week, to knock their socks off. We want faith just to be... Uh, active, impressive, exciting, but that's not really what life seems like to me. There are a lot of quiet spaces where nothing much seems to be happening. That's what my life feels like often, my life. Quiet, mundane, everyday kinds of things, waiting on laundry, you know, just doing the things that we do all the time at, at, at home, getting up, going to work. And I think about the people in Scripture and what their lives were like, like Moses and David, who, yeah, we read exciting things in their story, but we also see that they spent sometimes decades just tending sheep and doing something that most people would have considered not all that exciting. Moses spends 40 years after the uh, the uh, he leaves Egypt just in the wilderness waiting and, and listening and being prepared during that time. And I think that life seems to me to have more lulls and waiting than thrills and excitement. Maybe your life's different than that. That's how it feels to me. There's a lot more lull. There's a lot more uh, what might feel like boredom than there is adventure in life. And it's easy to forget in moments like these intervals, pauses and waiting, that I like how one person put it, that we're human beings, not human doings. We're human beings, not human doings. And a lot of us may, you know, a lot of people are adrenaline junkies and we don't like slowing down. I don't like slowing down. I'm type A. I don't like doing nothing. I like doing something, although I know doing nothing is good for me. And why I don't like doing nothing is because I'm sitting with myself in those times. When it's quiet, I may be reflecting on uh, my regrets, or I may uh, be thinking about my insecurities, and I have a lot of those. Or I may be dwelling on questions or barriers But what we find in the life of the church is that God had them in a quiet interval, a pause, and that they were learning some important things. And what we do in those mundane, everyday kind of things is just as important as like the most exciting things that seem to happen in our lives as well. We need to learn to listen and hear from God. And that's where they were. They were in a place where God says, look, I want you to stop and I want you to pray and I want you to hear from me. And before the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost. And I thought about what we really need at times is to learn how to shape holiness out of tedium. Because your life is going to feel tedious at times. And what we really need is to learn how to develop holiness out of our tedious times and our boredom or what feels like boredom? Do we have a healthy concept of what God may be doing while we're waiting? I was, you know, sometimes I'll post things on Facebook, and um, 
I should stop. You know, sometimes it's helpful in healthy conversations. But I, I was thinking about why we need, like, rocket fuel experiences at Christians as Christians. And I thought sometimes it's because we lack a spiritual imagination. God gave us in worship communion, which is dramatic. It's a portrayal of what Christ did. God gave us baptism, which is drama. He gave us prayer. He gave us scripture. He gave us preaching. He gave us fellowship, connection. And sometimes we're just like, I just need, you know, laser lights and smoke and all this other stuff. And I think sometimes it's, excuse me, because we lack a spiritual imagination. We, uh, we just need to be fed that. And I think in the passage what we really see is that we have to learn how to cultivate a Christian imagination and how, how to live with what life is really like often. And so there are perils that a person might experience in waiting, and we're going to see that. But there are also blessings and benefits, I think, in the period that we might find ourselves waiting And so, to begin with, we think about Judas. This passage is a lot about the betrayer, the traitor, Judas. And he destroyed his life while he was waiting. A lot of people would say the flaw, if we tried to pick apart his psychology, what was it in Judas' experience that caused him, he was one of the ones who was chosen by Christ, what caused Judas to say, I've had enough of this, and I'm willing to take money to betray my master. And it's speculation, but some people would say he grew unhappy with Jesus' agenda. He was unhappy with the pace. He was unhappy with the, the, uh, what Jesus had in mind, his purpose as Messiah. Because a lot of the disciples, of course, hoped that. You remember in the passage last week, or if, as you've read Acts, that the question that they asked Jesus just before Jesus said, that's none of your business, was, do you intend at this time to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says, that's not your business. Your business is to be witnesses to me right now in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And we think about Judas. Why was he willing to betray Jesus? Well, some people say that wasn't what he had in mind. That uh, waiting, that uh, witnessing. And I love this song Michael Card wrote called Why. It's a reflection about Judas. And it says, why did it have to be a friend who chose to betray the Lord? Why did he use a kiss to show them? That's not what a kiss is for. He says, only a friend can betray a friend. A stranger has nothing to gain. And only a friend comes close enough to ever cause so much pain. Judas' betrayal is foretold in Psalm 41 verse 9. One thing we know for sure that the disciples were doing while they waited was that they were searching the scriptures. Because when they began to have this conversation about finding a replacement for Judas, that's where they went. They went to Psalm 41, verse 9, and they saw that the Bible said there that uh, one of Jesus' intimates would become his betrayer and that they, there would be a need to find another to replace, uh, to fill his office. 
So Judas' betrayal is foretold in the Bible, and then he guides his enemies to the Garden of Gethsemane, and he feigns affection in the betrayal of Christ. He, you remember that just what we saw in the lyrics of that song? He comes to Jesus, and he's told his, uh, the people that are there with him, the one whom I kiss is, is the one that you're to arrest. So he feigns affection for Jesus, and then he behaves treacherously. And we think about Judas. Is there a more famous villain in the history of humanity? You know, he'd be up there, wouldn't he? How would we characterize him? I like literature. I remember reading David Copperfield. I don't know if you've uh, read David Copperfield by uh, Charles Dickens. There's a character in there named Uriah Heep. Uriah Heep. Somebody named a rock band after him. But Uriah Heep is a villain. In, in the story, he is an uh, ingratiating sycophant, is the way you would describe him. He pretends to be uh, something that he is not, so that he can infiltrate himself into a situation to betray the trust of people who... He is exactly the opposite of what people would have thought of him on the outside. Inside, he's corrupt and a villain. This insider turns into one of the most notorious villains in history, and he's a tragic character, Judas, a dishonest hypocrite. In John chapter 12, we get an idea about who he is, and of course, it's written, the gospel, after Jesus crucifixion and resurrection and ascension but there in that gospel it uh the there's an editorial comment about judas and it it says that mary came into a gathering and you remember that she anoints jesus with an expensive perfume and judas murmurs and he says why wasn't this sold and and the proceeds given to the poor And he's talking about all the good that could have been done. But the editorial comment says, but he didn't care about the poor. He was a thief, and he was the one who had the money strengths. So we we know that that's who he is. He's a thief. He's he's not who he appears to be. For three years, he is Jesus' follower. He's intimate. He hears, he sees everything that everybody else saw. And the Bible says, what we're reading in this passage is that after he he had uh, gone to the high priest and he had agreed on a sum of money, 30 uh, pieces of silver, to betray Jesus. And afterward, when he saw what happened, he saw the crucifixion, he's filled with remorse. But he he can't take it back. It's, It's happened. He throws the money uh, in front of the priest, and they, you know, and then he goes out and commits suicide. That's what the scripture shows that he commits suicide. And there are two accounts of it that, when you harmonize, it seems like uh, he killed himself at this location that became known as a field of blood. And the high priest purchased that, and it becomes a Graveyard for indigence. It's called the Field of Blood or Potter's Field. Uh, historians believe Potter's Field because it was a place where clay would be originally have been gathered to make clay pots. But he, 
he, uh, they purchased that lot of land with the price of Jesus' betrayal. And here's why. This is fascinating to me when I read this scripture. Because the high priests say, we can't take this money back into our treasury because it was the price of blood. Well, what's wrong with that picture? They were the people who paid the money out of the treasury to begin with. They're like, we can't take it back now. It's tainted. You know what that is? That's where Jesus said about them, they will strain a gnat to swallow a camel. They had religious scruples, but they did not have a relationship with God. And it shows us the poisonous nature of religion. That's religion in a nutshell. It's why Jesus says that they didn't care about the weightier issues of justice and mercy. So we look at this person's life and Judas was not content with God's agenda in his waiting. People, you know, say perhaps that's the the reason. I think that's plausible that he was unhappy with Jesus' agenda. And we could say, well, having our own agenda rather than God's will complicate things every single time. If you have your agenda and not God's agenda, you're headed in the wrong direction. Following Jesus means that I'm willing to set aside my own vision and embrace his vision. That's what it means to call Jesus Lord. We say, I'm setting aside my vision. I'm embracing your vision. I'm not in charge anymore. And so that was the big flaw that we see. But there's a second way of dealing with waiting that we can see from this passage, and that's how the disciples behaved in the remainder of this story, where Peter stands up among the 120 who the uh, Bible says were part of the disciples. There, there were apostles and there were disciples, and the apostles were those who Jesus had selected to continue to witness to his resurrection. And the disciples were those who uh, were being taught and who were part of the congregation of worshipers. And so it had grown to about 120 people who were willing to risk what it meant at that time to gather together in order to pray. And so Peter stands up in their midst and he thinks through this idea that because Judas has uh, betrayed Jesus and has committed suicide that there's the need to find another to take his his place. And so these 120, we think about that. That's how the Christian movement began in the first century. And I don't know how anybody would calculate how many believers have existed in the last 2,000 plus years, but we know perhaps it numbers in the billions of people uh, who have lived and died and gone on to their reward because of the faithfulness of 120 people who began to pray and to seek God and believed Christ and bore witness to him in this little uh, place, Jerusalem in the Middle East. They formed his body. They established churches. They uh, forged communities based on the tenets of faith in Christ, which are that Jesus was God, that Jesus had a human existence, he clothed himself in flesh and blood, that Jesus went to the cross to pay for the sin debt of every human being, that Jesus was raised from the dead to uh, prove conclusively that God's justice was satisfied and accomplished and that God's power over sin and death 
was real and active and then Jesus ascended up into heaven. And all of the churches over the whole span of history have been founded on those very simple and basic ideas. And, this, and then the worship, as we said, communion. The, the taking of the elements, the baptism, these, these uh, activities of worship, our singing, our praying. But all of it focused on who Jesus was and what Jesus did. And the story that they're telling is the same story that the saints have been telling for thousands of years. That we gather around and we repeat and we tell in our families. And so in their interval here, they seek the Lord. They weren't slaves to their impulses or, or emotions. That's a good way to be while we're waiting. Not to be slaves to our impulses or the worst parts of ourselves, but to, to use the times that we wait to honor the Lord in our character and in our lives. They waited while God laid the groundwork. That's hard for me to accept sometimes that like God is just laying groundwork. Be patient. I want it to happen now, not later. But sometimes God is laying the groundwork for, for us, and, and of course we have to wait. They were faithful in the small things God told them to, them to do in those times. Hey, there's a good way to examine your own heart, and me too. Are we faithful in the small things that God tells us to do while we're waiting on the big thing or the end? That's where characters form. That's where life really matters because there's way more of that kind of life than any other kind of life. When we're faithful in the small things, the everyday. And they they were. They're faithful while they waited. Do we bring ourselves with our whole heart and convictions and desire to honor Christ? That's what we can see in them. It's why God used them powerfully is because they did. They brought their whole heart. They, they were, were worshipers, and it was this essence of who they were. It was the most important truth about their life. I think sometimes the most spiritual thing I can do is to set aside my expectations and just trust Christ. That's what they do in this moment. They park their expectations, and, they, and they're able to listen and to, and to worship and seek God. I have all kinds of expectations. And sometimes the healthiest thing I can do, what I'm trying to practice, is to say, God, help me to experience you whatever happens. Let me just experience you and to, to, be, to see you and not to see all the other stuff. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. They search scripture trying to find a faithful uh, pathway to express what Christ had told them to do. Sometimes commentators have thought that because Matthias isn't mentioned again, maybe this was a mistake. I had a a friend who, uh, like when I was in uh, Bible college, I took sermon prep and delivery, and uh, you had about 40 classmates, and you had to prepare a message and preach in front of all of your classmates, and they wrote a critique of your preaching. That was a lot of fun because preachers are never evaluating and thinking about how much better they could have done, you know, what you were doing. But I had a friend in that class who I thought was a phenomenal, godly uh, man and preacher who preached this passage, I remember it, and his position was that they just got ahead of God here. 
But, you know, I don't know. I think that if you assign the right motive to them, you can see that what they really were doing was trying to be faithful to Scripture. They were praying. They were trying to understand what Jesus said to them. And they were trying to find a person who could be a witness with them of his resurrection. If we just take the Scripture at face value, which is probably a safer thing to do. But the... When we think about the disciples, when you read Acts, what we're going to notice is most of them are not mentioned again after this. Peter and John are, and then we meet Saul, and a lot of the book of Acts tells us about Saul of Tarsus, who becomes the Apostle Paul, but a lot of the disciples, we don't hear that much. We know traditionally, historically, you know, more about them, but uh, not so much from what we find in the Scripture. But they're mindful, I think, of their... uh, calling to give a faithful eyewitness account of the ministry of Jesus and they are trying to closely follow what was told them. God trusted to them this incredibly risky endeavor. Think about how risky this is. Take 11 guys and to trust to them the salvation of humanity. And of course God's active in that but this was the endeavor. This is what Jesus left to these people. And what they're trying to work out, and I think they accepted it uh, and knew that it was a weighty, important, reverent thing that God had called them to do. God was trusting to them this, this endeavor. God used them to codify, transmit, and confirm what Jesus did and taught. And guess what? We've got it. We've got God's word. They they committed to that task and it's been passed along to me so that I can stand up and proclaim not my opinion but what God gave us in his word. They prayed a wonderful prayer. I love the prayer that they pray in this passage. Lord, knower of the hearts of all, lead us. Isn't that a good prayer? You who know the hearts of everyone, show us what to do. That's a great prayer. The scripture says Judas went to his own place in verse 25. He didn't go where Jesus was leading. His self-will led him to self-destruction. That's where self-will will take you. Self-will leads to self-destruction. But the disciples encountered Jesus in prayer. And I thought about some prayer principles that I think are helpful for us. There's some practical ideas as we look at this passage and we think about what is it that I'm supposed to do while I'm waiting? In the law, in the uh, moment that maybe doesn't feel exciting, what's happening? What's God doing in those times? And what should I be like as a person of prayer? And so just a few ideas and, and principles that I think will be helpful to us, that are helpful to me. Prayer principles that help us think about patiently waiting on God. One is that God has the unqualified right to say no because of who he is and what he knows. God has the unqualified right to say no because of who who he is and what he knows. There's plenty I don't know. I'm limited. God's unlimited. God's infinite. I'm finite. I'm created. He's the creator. God knows the end from the beginning when he's called like the Alpha and the Omega. He knows the end from the beginning. He's not in time. I experience life as a sequential 
movement forward of seconds and minutes and hours, God's experience is not like that at all. He's outside of that reality, and he created it. And so I trust that God has my best interest in in mind. Also, we think about praying as we wait on God. God will answer in the way that's best for us, even even if it feels painful or unkind. There may be times that as you've prayed, you didn't get the answer. You didn't get it instantly. And we wonder, what's going on here? What is, why is God not giving me what I want? Well, God will answer in a way that's best for us, even if it feels to us like uh, we don't get what we want. We didn't get it. when. And that's another uh, part of this is God will not violate his word to give you what you want. Sometimes we want what we want when we want it, but when we see Scripture, the Scripture says if a person's heart pleases the, if a man's heart pleases God, he'll give, or his ways please the Lord. It says he'll give them the desire of his heart. And there are two ways of looking at that. If a person's ways please the Lord, he'll give him the desire of his heart. I think what I've heard people say about that passage is he'll put the desire in his heart, and that desire is going to align with God's person and character but God won't violate his word to give us something we want he's not going to give you somebody else's spouse for example something ridiculous like that God will will never violate his will to give you what you want God's blessings are spiritual and that's how he gives good things to his children Luke 11 11 there uh, it's in the section in the gospel of Luke where the Lord's Prayer was given, and the Jesus gives them the Lord's Prayer. Then you have the section in Luke 11 that talks about asking, seeking, and knocking. Jesus says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find, knock, and door will be opened. And then he uh, says, who is there among you that if his friend comes at night and he has a need, and he's like, I have unexpected guests, and I need some bread for my guest. And he says, eventually, because he's wearying you, you'll get up and open the door and give him what he wants. And he says, basically, be persistent in prayer. And then Jesus says, God is good. And he says, which of you as a father, if your son asks for a fish, would you give him a snake? Like, no, that's absurd. If my son asked for a fish, I'm not going to give him a snake. If he asked for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? No. If he asked for bread, would you give him a rock? No. And Jesus says, your father in heaven knows how to give good things to those that love him. And the good thing in his, uh, what Jesus says is the Holy Spirit. He'll give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So his blessings are spiritual. The good things that come to his children as we pray are spiritual. We think about what prayer is and how God works as we wait and as we pray. The world is fallen. I'm just, I think about the, the nature of prayer and the nature of God. And even though God is loving, we will never get perfect outcomes in this world. Yet our hope is in the one who will make all things new. Revelation 21.5, behold, I make all things new. So sometimes we wonder why do bad things happen to good people. That's what we say. 
And the reality is we live in a fallen world. It's not the perfect world that God intended or that God created in the beginning. The one constant in that is that God is loving and that his intent for us is always good. And that even in, if in the short term we don't get perfect fairy tale outcomes, we know that the one that we've committed to says, Behold, I'm making all things new. That's the blessing. That's the benefit of following Christ and knowing him. We think about prayer and some of the truths that we learn as we pray. Wise people trust God even when life feels disappointing. We talked about this in small group Bible study today as well. Wise people trust God even when life feels disappointing. How often does that happen? I think about words and what they mean. Disappointment means disappointment, this one. The thing that I hoped for did not happen. A line got drawn through it. It got canceled. How do I feel about that? Frustrated. Disappointed. The word self-instructive. And yet, I love this quote from Spurgeon. Maybe you've seen it before. It says, God is too good to be unkind. He's too wise to be mistaken. And when we can't trace his hand, we must trust his heart. Maybe I don't understand what God's doing right now. You know what I do understand is that God is benevolent. That there, there is light in him and no darkness whatsoever. That's what I believe based on what he, who he is and what he's done. His redemptive plan is in effect. I love that quote from Spurgeon. When we can't trace his hand, I can trust his heart. And also, when we think about prayer and what it, uh, we're learning, there are lessons in pain, waiting, hurts, disappointment, frustrations. We don't always think so. But that's what we learn. As we learn to think maturely about waiting, is that there are lessons in pain. In fact, a struggle I have, I've probably shared this before, is just thinking about a perfect world where there's no hurting and there's no pain and there's no loss. It's like so many of the important things that I've learned in life have come as a result of imperfection, defect, wounds that I experienced, pain that I've lived through, the the things that cause me to lean into God and to pray and to cling to him. It's almost hard to imagine a world that's not like that anymore, where things are made perfect. And yet that's the promise that God holds out to us. So the consequences of Judas' decision to betray Jesus were traumatic and devastating. We think, well, I'm not Judas. You know, we try to read into scripture, I do, like who am I in this story here? Sometimes I'm not anywhere in the story, but I think I'm certainly not Judas. I hope not. But the con- I thought about this. The consequences of rejecting Jesus and betraying Jesus are exactly identical. Even if you thought, I would never betray Jesus. A person who rejects Jesus, who says no to him, their fate, the outcome of their life is no different than had they betrayed him. Self-will leads to self-destruction. 
Maybe we're merely squandering our time and abusing the privilege of our freedom here. Merely squandering our time. Merely wasting, you know, not living redemptively in our freedom. And that is still its own form of tragedy. There's a a better way. And God can transform our waiting into faithfulness and fruitfulness if we learn to think more like Christian grown-ups and people who are yielded to him. I experience God when I surrender my expectations and simply trust him to act consistently with his character. Our life might feel like, you know, we think about waiting. Again, Moses. Forty years of waiting followed by forty years of wandering with people who were whining. That was his life. Forty years of, we think, what are spiritual people, what's their experience like? What does it look like? Forty years of waiting followed by forty years of wandering with people who were whining. That was Moses in a nutshell. That was his life. So this is what you get to look forward to. Maybe not. But the only variable we can control in many of the seasons of life is our heart and our attitude toward God. That's it. That's the biggie. While I'm waiting on God, what's my attitude? How does how I what how does how I am, what does how I am say about what I believe about God? That's the test of my heart. How does or what does how I am say about what I believe about God? What would people detect about God based on my responses to the season that I'm in, this, a season of waiting? Is my waiting wasted or still infused with meaning because I believe there's a Redeemer who doesn't waste anything? I was talking to some friends this week and I said, here's what I want because I think it's a grown-up response. I want to s- stop complaining about things and, and be grateful more more frequently so often things are outside our control and I can get fixated on the negative but I think here's what where my testimony really is is where if people can see that even though things are not ideal I still have a hopefulness in me because of what I believe about God and his promises and who he is if I can look to Jesus as the scripture instructs me to do Being a follower of Jesus begins with surrender and repentance and prayer, and that's what it looks like all the way through. It begins with repentance and surrender and prayer, and then it's just more of that through our whole life. And so we're going to have a time of uh, commitment here in uh, just a moment as uh, folks are coming leading us to sing. And as you have listened to God's word today, hopefully it speaks to us in our own time and season of uh, maybe waiting, maybe disappointment, maybe trying to figure out how to uh, be faithful in our own praying and living. And uh, if there's a need that you have for prayer, of course, I'd be happy to pray with you during our commitment time. But uh, let me uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the scripture. Thank you for its faithful witness of what Christ did for us and God thank you that you show us even through uh, the failure of other people the kind of men and women that we can be if we remain faithful when we don't always see clearly what you're up to 
And I pray for uh, us as we deal with our wounds and hurts and disappointments, God, that we'll trust you uh, as uh, to a faithful creator because that's what we believe you are, who you believe we believe you are. And God, I pray that you'll give us boldness to stand and to follow Christ and to live for him in our lives and families. And, and we commit ourselves to you in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with me as we sing?